Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Every month I bring on two people and today is Debbie Snow Walsh. How you doing, girl? Great. I'm thrilled to be here. Always thrilled and always appreciate the opportunity to chat about how you get to where you want to go. Yep, you got it. And today is really going to be focused on um, those individuals who are 33-ish and younger. So you're just starting out in your career. You've just gotten a new manager's job. You're trying to figure out how to put it all together. We're concentrating our conversation today on what does that look like and how do you show up powerfully in the workplace and what can you expect over the next 10 years of your career? All right. So, Debbie, you know, um, several of the podcasts I've been working on have been this, this, what is the expectations of the Z economy, Z generation, this kind of 18 to 28-ish group of people who are coming into the workplace. One of the things that I was talking to another podcast, Dennis O'Shea, is that he made me realize that this is the first generation that doesn't understand 9-11. They weren't around. They were toddlers. And the expectations of this group are so widely different than everyone else. And we say that about every generation. But his thought was, this is a generation that 100% grew up in technology, 100% lived through, part of it was active shooters, how they think about safety, how they think about security, how they have expectations, trust on corporations versus government, all of these things. What do you think are the expectations of young um, professionals coming into the workplace versus other generations that might have come in earlier? Well, I think one of the things that we, we didn't talk about is this also is a generation that's coming into not the first generation, but a generation that uh, didn't know about 9-11. That's also the generation that went through 2008 to 2012 when many of their parents were laid off um, and the bottom fell out of the IT market. Um, and, you know, that was probably before they came uh, to be, but it certainly happened um, they were born into the early 90s or the mid 90s. And so it's just different. So they watched their parents lose jobs that they'd had for 10 or 12 years as the markets changed. Um, September 11th made everybody nervous and traveling was uh, terrifying, a terror that we'd never seen before. Uh, they've looked at uh, 
parents and how they felt about being termed, being terminated, and how they had to go through job search in a market that was not good, not like mm-hmm. it did. And so they have different views of taking care of themselves, which is why we're always talking about uh, what the demands are from this work generation. And then they had COVID. Then you just mm-hmm. gave And some of them um, who were, you know, at the end of their college career, maybe when COVID came to be, or saw their brothers and sisters just starting college and being completely 100% remote. I think all of that impacts uh, the people that we're talking about that are maybe 10 years, eight to 10 years into their career. So I think their view of loyalty to an employer is completely shattered. So what does that look like? I mean, from an employee, from an employer's point of view, what, what, how does that show up? Cause nobody's coming to work and say, you know, A, I don't trust you. B, you know, this, the, you know, he, we were talking about the technology that we use, you know, love, love teams now, but it took me a while to get used to it, but they're used to zoom and Dropbox, which are very, very easy to use, drop in. And then you go to these places, you've got two factor authentication, you've got all of this stuff that is not seamless in their mind. Right. And so just from that point, the, the level of things that they have to go through, again, they're not going to come in and say, you know, or are they? This place is like antiquated. Why don't you, you know, this is old. What, what, what in the world are we doing here? They're not going to quit their jobs, but what will, what will they do? How will that show up? And how will an employer or boss know that, they're really not connecting with these employees. Well, I think one of them is both a strength and a weakness. They've not learned um, making relationships and the importance of playing in the sandbox one-on-one, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. They haven't needed to. But it shows up in first-generation managers who they're getting to be when managing a team virtually is easier for them than having a conversation on the phone. I mean, what does our generation say? Pick up the phone and call. Oh no, I'll just text them. Okay. But the nuance of how people respond one-on-one is not going to change. I mean, people are always going to need a personal one-on-one meeting. And when you get higher up the organization and you go to um, senior executive retreats, you have to have all those um, one-on-one relationships and the ability to manage those one-on-one relationships that you didn't have to have when you were dealing on teams or dealing virtually um, or, you know, be dressed from the waist up. And, and we've, we've all laughed about that. There was a picture from IBM people on LinkedIn recently that said, what, you know, what have you looked like in the last two years? Uh, how have you dressed? And it was everybody dressed from the waist up and everybody in pajama bottoms and slippers in the waist down. And, you know, jimmers and flip-flops and it, and it was hysterical. It was very, very funny. But that's the other thing, you know, that they, you know, this generation has not been raised in having to have one-on-one relationships and to do what, you know, we used to call, do they have executive presence, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that has nothing to do with their workload or their value to the company and what they produce. It has to do with, can I introduce them at the most senior ranks of my organization or my customer's organization, and they will not embarrass me. Mm -hmm. 
it's just something that they don't care about for the most part. They want to look cool, want to look chic, want to look uh, up to date in fashion trends. Those that do, others could care. Mm -hmm. T-shirt fine with me has nothing to do with the impact of my work. But even if they get on on a virtual call, they have to look like they're super smart and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and having a command presence on this 2D kind of thing, is a, it's a different way of doing it. And many of them, you know, I, I tell the story now of, I was trying to buy some software for my company and I was interviewing these, you know, you go through the sales discussion with them and we're talking about it. And for the life of me, no one turned on their camera. And I'm <laughs> sitting here going, you want me to trust you and I can't see your eyeballs. But for them, not, you know, because I didn't get up to get cleaned up or whatever. I don't even know why they didn't have it on, but it, it doesn't bother them to have these conversations without having that relationship. And I don't think they understand. I know it's an old um, it's an old research piece that's been sometimes proven, not proven, but I think it still holds. You know, only 7% of communication happens in words. Everything else is tone of voice and how you look. It's that simple. We make decisions on tone of voice and how you look. And that, if you're not into the communication part of it and how you could get a command um, presence, then you're always going to be one down. I think that's absolutely right. And and I think that the most important thing to uh, to help people understand is that when you're being assessed, which you always are, uh, it's an old an old uh, CEO of a of a makeup and beauty company that said you audition every minute of your life and never forget it. You are always being assessed. Yeah. And so in being assessed and looking or not looking the part, um, what's lost is um, the knowledge that you're being assessed against your peers. Yeah. So if I'm recruiting you, you're not being assessed on what your own accomplishments are, you're being assessed on how you compare to the other people I'm talking to. Yeah. And if I'm talking to you in a competitive situation for something that you're selling me, you're being assessed on how you compare to the next person and what they're selling me. Because the products are, for the most part, the same in any situation, in any institution, in banking, in professional services, in retail, not that different. It's the price and it's how it compares to the next item yeah and do i trust you yeah and like you person. because right. we all know that it's the after sale or those of us who have been buying stuff for a long time it's really the after sale do i believe that this salesperson really has my best interests at heart or are they just trying to make their quota absolutely and it's a car a house a pair of jeans uh you know a new refrigerator a new lawnmower it, it, whatever it is it's just, what are you going to do for me after the sale is done, after it's completed? Who are you handing me off to? What are you going on to? Yeah. And if a person's solving a problem yeah. in a large corporation or even a small corporation, if I call you because I have, you know, an, I'm a more senior executive and I'm calling you because I have a problem with X and you deliver to me whatever the solution was immediately, five days later, when I still have problems or still worried about something or need something else, do I come back to you? Mm -hmm. Or do I go to your peer always mm -hmm. come because you didn't do it in the timeliness or in the way or in the manner of, I didn't like you as well as I like the guy that sits in the chair next to you. Yeah. So I'm, 
not coming to you. And that's how people get promoted. Mm-hmm. Gee, I worked with Jared and every time I dealt with him, he was so nice, so thorough, asked questions that I didn't even think to ask, continued to follow up versus Betty that solved my problem, but then never called me again. Or sent me a, uh, an email. It was done. It was done. And the work was okay. But I, right. I don't have a relationship with her, but I do have a relationship with him. And that's the piece that I think we have to, in, in general, and that's one of the issues that we are having, you know, because I'm now in a hun- almost 100% remote company. That's one of the issues we're having is how do we keep those relationships going when what we're calling and texting to people about all the time is, hey, this is a problem. I'm going to do this. How are you going to help me? What is the support? And now it's all performance based. Did you solve my problem first time around? And there's two things that come up to me immediately in looking at this. And there are two issues that are coming up to pediatricians and educators. Mm-hmm. What we're calling children that were born in 2020. Mm-hmm. We're calling COVID babies. Problem when they go to school, they have no social skills when they go to school mm-hmm. or daycare. And mm-hmm. they sit and they cry because they don't know what they're doing because they've never been, A, away from their parents or mm-hmm. their and B, they don't know how to act. The infamous don't know how to play nice in the sandbox, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the other thing pediatricians are talking about and healthcare and even sadly psychiatrists? When did they go to college and they're completely alone in learning? Yeah. COVID freshmen. So they were freshmen in 2020. They've never had anything but remote learning. They've had no interaction with their friends. They've had no friends. They didn't make any friends because mm-hmm. they. And when those small opportunities came about, they're going to be graduating in the next year or two. And those relationships that you would have formed in college, they didn't. They didn't form networking. They didn't know how to network. Nobody taught them how to network because they weren't there. And colleges and universities did a great job as much as they could in having everything virtual, but there's no how to dress. There's no how to behave. There's no what's it like to be at a networking event. So those are two things that pediatricians are worrying about, COVID babies and COVID freshmen. Mm-hmm. So in this age here, or this, or managing this group, or helping them understand, how do they know? You know, they'll get the first shop. So you know, we've got a lot of 18, 20, 24 year olds coming in. They're they've spent most of their time over the last couple of years really focused on getting through college, figuring it out. You know, I see it in the resumes. I see it in the way they come across and and communicating with me but they also don't have an idea of how to present why them and what their value is so that when it comes down to that crucial compensation conversation and career conversation, they're kind of looking at glass door and, you know, it's not the best place to get information. And they don't know how to go about getting the information and we need to teach them that. I mean, one of the places you look is to find out what competitors are offering for the same job. Mm-hmm. So take the call of the recruiter or get with the recruiter and understand what the range of the job is. It will give you an idea for what the range is that you want to be in so that you'll have some 
idea of what you go to. You talk to your friends who are hired and have jobs and find out what they're making. Usually when people are young, they'll be able to tell you, mom, my first job was this. And then I went for a 15% increase. They, they don't know how to have those conversations and to have them without making the other person feel threatened by giving you information, but to just ask, you know, if you want it, you know, I understand if you don't want to tell me what you're making, do you know what other people in your area are making? I mean, it's having those conversations and it can't be done by email. It has to be done in a bar over coffee, because you have to have that one-on-one trust. If I tell you some information I know, are you going to, excuse me, are you going to share it with somebody I don't want you to share it with? Or are you going to hold that information safe so that if I need information from you, you can provide information to me too? So that's one of the ways we do it. You know, the other thing is for them to learn from their peers how they're being managed. So the person, the person we're talking about, Mary, knows how her manager is managing her. How are other people managing her peers? And what mm-hmm. does she over coffee or over a sandwich, you know, can they meet somewhere and find that out? I mean, I have a millennial daughter who has had four different bosses in six years. Mm -hmm. She learned in each one of those situations how not to do something, Mm -hmm. how to do something, and has some very specific criteria of what her expectations are for the next job and the next boss and how she feels about being managed by boss A, boss B, boss C, boss D. How did that make her feel? Did it make her feel worthy, valued, um, part of a team? All those things that have to be learned when you're in. And you know, I think we're really, really headed, at least for the next, I still say it, the next four or five years, where we're going to be working virtually at least two days a week. So three days days home. I'm curious. What did she learn? Learned that avoidance of conflict is probably the number one and the most difficult and for a team, the most difficult thing to uh, witness. You mean people just not engaging in conflict or disagreement? Both don't know how to do it in a healthy way, don't know how to do it so that nobody feels demeaned. Mm -hmm. So avoiding the conflict altogether is another set of issues. When you Mm -hmm. avoid like procrastination, Mm -hmm. if the electric bill is due on the 20th and you don't pay it on the 20th, you get an automatic 20% added to your bill. Mm -hmm. If you have a lot of money, that's really a problem. Mm -hmm. If you would pay the bill when it walks in the door, there's no avoidance there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So if Joe comes in and Joe has got a real problem and is in a rage, what's the conversation? Joe, need you to take a breath and walk out of the room until you can calm down and talk to me about it. Joe is just going to be standing there screaming and all the people in the unit are going to be witnessing it and nobody's going to be stopping it. What would you do if you had a two-year-old? Pick him up and walk out, right? Yeah. Pick him up and walk out. You don't make a scene. You don't have a fight. You don't let him stamp his foot. You just pick him up because he can and you walk out until he's calm. And mm-hmm. that's what you go to do. Pick up and, you know, walk out till you're calm and then come back and let's talk. I think that takes a lot of us, particularly at that, you know, when you're first coming out and you're learning to establish the boundaries with people who are older than you, where pre up until then, you know, you had to do kind of what people said within a certain range. Otherwise, you didn't get the grade. You didn't get, you know, the 
financial aid. You didn't get, I mean, there are a lot of things that you just didn't get. Well, now part of being ready for the next career progression is how are you establishing boundaries that don't allow Mary to come in and stamp her foot or cry in your face and you're able to get them to calm down recluse themselves or or say goodbye until they can come back and they're more ready, emotionally ready to have that kind of conversation. I think that is, that's what we look for as we're picking who's going to be the next leader of the, in the organization. And I don't think we have enough of those conversations in general, because that's all the executive presence that we talk about, right? But, but the lesson has to be taught. You know, I think a good leader would have done a team meeting after, after this has been resolved, have a team meeting with or without the person that caused the issue to be able to say, this is what's acceptable in our team. Mm-hmm. This is what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. It's about solution. It's not about blame. I can personally give a fig about blame. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't matter to me what, who caused it. The issue is how do we resolve it? Mm-hmm. So understanding that a leader teaches resolution, solution orientation. How do we get from point A to point B? Not who made us get to point A in the first place, because everybody's going to have a bad day, a bad situation, a bad whatever. It's how do we resolve it? How do we resolve it as a team, as a couple, as a group to move forward to accomplish the goal that we're being paid for, right? Yeah. And, and you can't go through that unless you've had some of the, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, my heart's, you know, my hair's on fire. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see how we put the fire out. You know, I still of- judge, I still judge people. I, I cringe at, you know, people say, well, you know, job hopping is a problem and blah, blah, but not in this economy. It's not that you chose to change jobs. It's that I can't see that you ever had to live with your mistakes. And I still go back to the, I want people who have been there at least through two business cycles or three business cycles, because the first year you, you know, you're, oh, this is great. I'm going to put in all this stuff and the low hanging fruit, da, 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 da. Great. The second year, you've got to live to learn with what you put in. And then the third year, you've got to figure out how to optimize what you put in the first couple of years. And it's a learning journey. And so I don't, I, I love people who are problem solvers. But I really want to know how you evolve the situation or the resolution to the next level. And can you live with the fact that it didn't go the way you thought it was going to go? That's the flexibility, adaptability. That's the, that is what I'm looking for in terms of if I'm thinking about the next leader, I want to see that kind of progression with the person. I also want to see how they fail. Mm-hmm. And how failure affects them. Yeah. Because some people fail. I mean, we all, me too. You fail and you go home or wherever has happened. You're done for the night. You're finished with work and it eats at you until you have some kind of resolution that you think you can help with mm-hmm. the f- whatever the fix mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Other people blow it off and say it ain't my fault. <laughs> Those are the people that my husband always says, so we've given this entire generation, everybody gets a prize for the game. They lost the game, but they all get a prize for having tried. It's not life. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of main, mainly men coaches that say, why are we giving them all trophies? They lost. Yeah. 
Is it their fault? Yes, they failed. How do you live with that? When Tom Brady, who I love because he can throw a ball that somebody can catch, fails, he's not happy. Does he just stay home and not go back to work? No, he's the first guy there the next morning. Mm -hmm. That's the sign of leadership. I want to see how they fail. I agree with you. I think 18 months to two years minimum to stay in a job, to really progress and understand. But there's also um, moving much faster than when we were coming up Mm -hmm. is in two years time, if you get someone who has an opportunity, and I'm not talking about just going for money or low mm-hmm. hanging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If somebody's doubling your pay, you'd be a fool not to go. Yeah. That's just that's a whole mortgage payment or a whole rent payment. I mean, that's just silly. But on the other hand, if somebody's going to give you five grand more to go and you just are uncomfortable, you know, where you are, you feel a little squirmy or as, you know, I have a boss that calls it lumpy. It just doesn't feel right. You go for five more grand, that's the person I worry about because Mm -hmm. that's not showing you how they're going to look at and absorb what they put in place, what they recommended, what they assessed. They're not going to look at that. They just don't want to see what happens. They don't know and they don't care if they were right. They just want to move on. Or they're not comfortable in that uncomfortable space of it didn't go the way they wanted. And that's the problem. So I hope these tips have been really, really good for everyone here. Debbie, thank you for your wisdom and the time. Every month, Debbie's going to be here to share wisdom on how to manage your career and get hired in the job that you want. And if you need contact with her, always look in the show notes. Talk to you next month, Debbie. Thank you so much, Denise. It's great to talk to you always. I appreciate it. Well, as I said before, this wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.